is Madison Morgan on Lifeguard Staff. You're listening to week four of the Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker for week four was Brian Mills, and we had 4,785 students in attendance. Enjoy. If you got your Bibles, open up. You know where to go, right? Where are we at? Second Peter chapter what? One. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, get your Bible out. We're going to go through the Bible. We're going to get in the Word. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be in it tonight. We've been talking about how this is Peter's last letter. And in the midst of this moment of Peter's last letter, we've been discussing how Nero is about to kill Peter. And Peter's requested to hang upside down on a cross. We've talked about that the past few nights. And unpacking 2 Peter chapter 1, we've understood that Peter is writing to believers. He's writing to people in the church. And he's wanting them fully to understand how to really thrive in your faith when you are faced with great persecution or great false teaching or false prophets or this or that that they might be dealing with in that culture of that day and he's trying to help them really push them in that journey and we talked last night about how we got to add to the faith right the past two nights remember the seven plays I gave you that you got to add to your faith and everything has been add to your faith right add to your faith moral excellence go go do right right just go be godly add to your faith knowledge grow in your understanding of the word of god add to your faith self-control remember i taught you first corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 how do you fight against self-control what do you say look at your neighbor and say i will not we've got to fight we've got to fight against the temptation of this world by declaring the word of god over the temptation and by saying, I, I will not, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm not going to say yes to that. I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to look at that, right? I'm going to fight. I'm going to add to my faith. We've got to add to our faith perseverance, Peter said. You need to add that to your faith. You've got to add to your faith godliness. Here's a challenge for you just to go home and, and be church. Go be godly. There's a thought, right? Like just when you go back to your school, wherever your school might be, I think I've met someone from every city in, uh, in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, I asked one of you earlier, I think last night I was driving around and, and I tried to stop and talk to all of you. And, and I said, Where's your, you, I, what, where are y'all from? And you told me. And, and I said, where's that? And you go, Oklahoma. <laughs> Thanks for adding the clarity. Um, and if we're at in Oklahoma, right? And, and think about going back to your city and going back to your school and going back to your team. And when you go back to uh, your practices that might be starting this summer, uh, what if you just go back with the mindset that you, I'm just going to be godly? What comes out of my mouth is going to be godly. What my eyes look at is going to be godly. The kindness that I'm going to portray is going to be godly. I, I'm just going to go be godly. You think it would change your city? You think it would change your town? You think it would change your home? If you just just go be 
godly. We got plenty of ungodly people in the church. We need some godly people to rise up in the church. Amen? Well, we need to go be godly. And he tells us, go live out godliness. And then I taught you an incredible leadership principle last night on kindness. Kindness wins favor. Favor will gain you influence. And influence is leadership. Kindness. Peter says, hey, go be kind. Go treat people with kindness. And uh, some of you up on the basketball court, you need to practice this. Anyways, and then, and then to love. We need to love people unconditionally is the seven plays that he gives us. And that we need to have this type of love that Jesus portrayed to us. And here's what he says next in verses 8 and 9. So we're just going verse by verse, y'all. If you want to know how to read your Bible, I'm teaching you how this week. You say, how do, I, how do I read God's word, Pastor Brian? How do I walk through the word of God? How do I live out the word when I go home? Listen to me, whether you're a senior or a seventh grader, I'm teaching you how. Slowly. <laughs> just, just go slowly through the word. Just read it and begin to unpack it. It's simple. Watch 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8-9. through 9. Soon there he gives us the seven plays and he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. So let's walk slowly. He says, for if. He proposes a question to you tonight. He proposes a question to all the middle schoolers, all the high schoolers, to all the college students, to all the adults. He proposes a question for if, if you. Now he's making it personal, right? P Peter's speaking right to you. So if you're in this room, he's speaking to you tonight through the word of God. He says, for if you possess these qualities, the seven qualities that he just listed out, and he said, in increasing measure. So earlier in scripture, he said to add two, right? And now he's saying, increasing in measure. That means you're adding two. So once again, he says, you've got to go and live out your faith. He says, if that happens, watch, this is good, y'all. Nudge your neighbor right now and just say, you need to pay attention to this because you need this. Let them know. Now look right up here. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you. It's a promise. Peter is giving a promise to the church. This is a promise to you. You want to go home and not live burned out? You want to get over this whole camp high thing and forget about that the rest of your life? You want to forget about just uh, an emotional worship moment that kind of gets you emotionally engaged. Uh, and by the way, if we operate on our emotions, you're going to live a life that's a roller coaster. Amen? And because sometimes your emotions are high, and sometimes they're low, and sometimes you've got to cry, and sometimes you've got that messy cry where, like, you know that messy cry, like the really bad one. Your emotions will jack you up, right? Well, this is a promise. If you want to get rid of all that, Here's the promise. He says, they will keep you. So these qualities that I've given you, they will keep you from being ineffective. You want to go back home and be effective for the gospel? You, you want to be effective for the gospel of Jesus Christ? They will keep you 
from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word ineffective here is literally the same word that means like an idle worker. It's like, uh, it's like for you who do science class. We all love science class, right? Especially if you got a cool science teacher. For you who don't love science class, you don't have a cool science teacher. Because a cool science teacher is going to blow something up in your class. Right? They're going to mix something and boom, it's going to go. And it's going to be awesome. And, uh, and, and think about if you got to do a science project and the people that you do the project with, they do nothing and make you do all the work. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, lots of you. You all have had to do all the work. Now, how does that make you feel about those people? We don't like them, right? Like, we want to give them the F ourselves. And we want to recommend, hey, they did nothing. I did all the work. Some of you are the ones that everybody else cheats off of. You ought to do two homework assignments, if that's you. Do one with all the wrong answers and let everybody cheat off that one and do one with all the right answers. And you just turn that one in see how everybody else does. Just watch everybody in your whole class fail. It'll be awesome, right? And uh, they'll learn. Don't cheat. Uh, praise God. We never want to be the, the people that do nothing. That's what Peter's talking about here. Don't be the idle worker. Don't be the one that does nothing. Don't be the one that is ineffective. Be the one that is effective. Be the one that, that is doing something. I, I, in the process of my life, I've had, had the privilege to do youth ministry uh, almost for 20 years. And I got to lead youth ministries of all sizes, to be honest with you. I've led youth ministries as small as seven teenagers, uh, where my wife and I were the only volunteers. And I've been fortunate enough to lead youth ministries as large as three plus thousand teenagers uh, from one church. And so I've had that privilege and had the privilege to see uh, youth ministries this large from one church and youth ministries as large as the front row. And I've, God's just given me a unique opportunity in doing some of that. And over the years, I've met some pretty incredible students. And I'll, I'll remember a student, I was thinking this afternoon, who are a few students that were so effective for the gospel? And I remember a student came to me one time uh, at camp. He came to me and he said, hey, this is going to be my senior year. And this particular year, God has given me the vision that I need to go back to my basketball team. He played basketball. And I need to win my whole basketball team to Christ. And I want to see every one of my teammates at camp next year. That was his vision. So we went, and you know what he started doing? He'd reach one. They'd come to our church. They'd give their life to Christ. Then he'd go back to his basketball team. He'd reach another one. They would give their life to Christ. They'd come to our church. Then he'd go back to his team. Then he'd reach another one. By the end of the year, by the time we got to camp, every one of his teammates came. Almost all of them had given their life to Christ and been baptized within that year. Because one student said, I'm going to go be effective for the gospel. And he wasn't just effective for the gospel by inviting. He was effective for the gospel by living it. We got to go live it. There's another young boy that came to me his ninth grade year. He said, I'm going to go to camp. I said, I know you're going to camp. You go to camp every year. He said, no, you don't understand. This year, there's a baseball tournament, and I'm the main pitcher for the baseball team. 
So praise God, I'm proud of you for skipping uh, a major tournament to come and go camp. Man, I'm really proud of you. He said, the problem is it's going to be hard for me to bring my friends this year. I said, well, I believe in you, man. Go win them to Jesus. And uh, he, said, he came to me the next Wednesday and he said, hey, I got another one of my friends from the team coming with me to camp. He's signing up tonight. I said, well, praise God. What's your coach say? He said he doesn't know yet. And so then those two went back. And the next Wednesday, they had five others from the team join camp. And all their parents said, we're just going to skip the tournament. Now the coach calls me and says, what are you doing with my players? I said, I'm not doing I'm just taking them to camp. That's all I'm doing. He said, we got a baseball tournament. I said, well, I'm trying to invest in them for eternity. Which one do you think is more important? He said, probably eternity. I said, I think so, my friend. And so we load them up. And then they, this five to eight students that had signed up from one team, they said, hey, we're going to start trying to invite everybody else from the city that's playing in this baseball tournament. So they start inviting everybody. Now the league director that is putting on the baseball tournament calls me. He goes, Pastor Brian, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting ready for camp. What are you doing? He said, I'm canceling a tournament because of you. <laughs> so it's not because of me, man. It's because of the Lord. Amen. You see, what he had wrong was it had nothing to do about me. It had everything to do about a ninth grade boy that decided to be effective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he didn't just invite his friends. He went and lived his faith. That's what Peter's talking about. And he's challenging you to go and do that, to become effective, to become uh, productive in your faith. Go live it out. I've met teenagers who have won their parents to Christ because they go live like Jesus in their house and they don't live like the culture says to live. I'm telling you, listen to me. Y'all need to hear this. You need to get rid of the idea of right and wrong. We just need to pitch that to the side. Because what is right and wrong today might not be right and wrong according to the Word of God. The culture might say it's right, but the Word might say it's wrong. And I'm telling you, don't live out the culture, live out the Word. we got to stay in the Word of God. So here's how what you do. You live out the wisdom of the word, not what is right or wrong according to the culture. That's where Peter's challenging us. Too many of you are saying, well, <laughs> I can go do that. Everybody else does, right? And uh, no, you can't because it's against the word. I'm not trying to drive you towards legalism. I'm trying to drive you towards a biblical life, a life that honors Jesus, and to get into this culture, and to live it out in this culture, and to live in this world, and to show Jesus to this world, and to go live it out so this world may come to know Christ. We've got to start adding to our faith. And if you're a believer, <clears throat> and if you've given your life to Christ, which, by the way, I, I forget how many of you have made first some professions, but a lot have said yes to Jesus this week. Isn't that incredible? We praise God for that. I really believe, I really believe a lot more of you are tonight, uh, by the way. I think there's a lot of people still sitting in their seats that have never said yes to Jesus. 
and you've been wrestling with it. And, uh, you know, you still haven't figured out what you're doing at camp. Um, and I'm just telling you, I really believe God's got something for you tonight as well. But let me speak to many of you who are believers for a moment because you need to go live out this faith. James says it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Remember, we're not saved by works. Can I say that again? We're saved by grace through Jesus Christ, period. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't do anything to earn yourself to heaven except surrender your life over to Jesus. Say yes to the gift. That's what we talked about the past few nights. But if you're new to the room or you're new watching us online, I want to be clear. You do not work your way to heaven. Heaven, to get to heaven is through the salvation that Jesus provided for us on the cross. We must receive it. But as a result of being saved, we do. We add to our faith. We add some things. And that's what James is talking about. If a brother or sister has nothing to wear and has no food for the day, or, or one of you say to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you do not give them the necessities of the body, what good is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is that you've got to add to it. You've got to act it out. You've got to live it out. Go live out your faith is what Peter is telling us to do. Watch what he says. They will keep you from being ineffective. And then he continues in talking about how, but whoever does not have them, the seven promises. So whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. Now, the word for nearsighted there is translated into the English form of myopia. Now, anybody who's in the medical profession knows that myopia is the same word for nearsighted. Now, when I was a teenager, uh, I was nearsighted. Uh, matter of fact, I didn't know I was blind until I went for my driver's test. I thought everybody saw the chalkboard blurry, right? I thought the whiteboard was just blurry. I thought my teachers couldn't write. And, uh, and so I, I would always move closer because I couldn't see. And, uh, and, and then I go to my driver's test. And they give you, how many of you have taken your driver's test recently? Amen. Pray y'all are not driving home the same time I am. And so I, I walk up to the driver's test and I look in the little box and he says, read the bottom uh, letter. And I go, E. He goes, no, the bottom one, the one you can see the best, E. He goes, no, there's like five numbers below that one. I said, Bro, all I can see is E. He goes, you're blind. I'm like, eh, it's encouraging. Thank you, officer. Uh, I'm blind. He goes, you can't take the driver's test. I said, why? He said, because you can't see. You're going to run into somebody. Well, I don't want to do that. So I look at my mom, and I go, Mom, did you know I was blind? She goes, honey, I had no idea. I'm like, how do you not know that? How do you not know somebody's blind? So then I go to the eye doctor. I get my glasses. I get my contacts. I was terrible. Are any of you terrible with contacts? I was terrible with contacts. I hated contacts. I used to wear those things until they would rot in my eye. And, uh, and then they would fall out. I'd wash them out in some pond that was muddier than anything else. I'd stick them back in. I scratched my eye four times. In, the, in my history of wearing contacts. And so then I just stuck the glasses. And then a miracle happened. 
a healing miracle happened. A doctor called me and he said, Brian, this was, gosh, I was probably 20-some years old, 20 years ago. And he goes, Brian, uh, for Christmas, I give away three LASIK eye surgeries a year. And I would like to give you one if you'd like to take it. Would I like to take it? Are you kidding me? I'm like, yes. Do I, do I need to come now? And he goes, no, not now. And so I come a few days later. I have LASIK eye surgery, which is like the best thing ever, right? And I get done with LASIK eye surgery. And, and I go home, and they tell me to sleep eight hours. They put these goggles on your face because they say if you rub your eyeballs, your eyeballs are like a contact lens because they cut them open. I don't understand it all. And they pop your eye out and do all this stuff and put it back. I don't get it. But they did it, and I praise Jesus for it. I go home and sleep, and that night, uh, we leave, and, and I don't know why we did this, but we went to eat dinner at Taco Bueno. I'll never forget this. I don't think I've been to Taco Bueno since. And, uh, but we went to eat. Taco Bell is way better than Taco Bueno, in my opinion. And so, just in my opinion, right? Uh, although Taco Bell doesn't have real beef. I think it's sand that they put in those. Either way, I like it better for some. It's just weird. And, uh, but I end up at Taco Bueno, and I'm sitting in the back of the restaurant. And I'm in the very back, and my wife is ordering. I'm a little drowsy, and I'm just hanging in the back. And, and I look up. You know what was amazing? I, I could see the menu. And so I go, Jennifer! That's my wife. I'm yelling from the back. She looks at me like, like, you need to calm down. You're on meds. I'm like, no, you don't understand, like I'm yelling at my wife. She goes, Brian, calm down. Uh, she's like sending her mom back to like calm me down. I'm like, no, y'all don't get it. I can see. The whole restaurant's like, he can see. Did Jesus just like do a miracle? And I'm like, no, y'all don't understand. I'm yelling at the whole restaurant. <clears throat> y'all don't get it. I, like I can read the menu. Yeah, we all can, Brian. I know you're from Arkansas, but you did learn to read. And uh, uh, no, you don't. Like, like from back here, Jennifer, back here, I can read the menu. She's like, Brian, calm down. And she finally made an announcement. He just had LASIK eye surgeries on meds. There was something about being able to see. There was something about not just having... This be my view, but this be my view. And uh, I can't help but think about that when I think of some of us have some spiritual myopia. Some of us have some spiritual nearsightedness. Some of you have never given your life to Christ. Why? Because you're so focused here. You just straight, you never looked up to know what I talked about the first night, that your purpose is greater than your now. You're so focused on you that you're missing what God has for you. And we're so locked in ourselves that we're missing what the word of God, the promises of God that I gave you the other night and what they say about you and how your identity is in Jesus and how, who Jesus says that you are. And all, we miss that because of spiritual myopia. We're so focused on ourselves. Well, why would God do that to me? Why do I got to walk through that? Why do my parents have to walk through that? 
Why do I have to deal with that? And we're here. Just nearsighted. And I believe um, through the word of God tonight, listen to me. God's saying look up. Because there's a bigger picture out here that I've got for your life. And I'm going to stick with you through your circumstance. But your calling and your purpose is greater than your right now. And there's something bigger. And if you'll just look up, I'll let you see it. But you've got to get over you. And that's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Because we love ourselves. But we're so nearsighted, we're missing the big picture of what God wants to do. And some of you, the people that you need to win to Christ are right around you. For some of you, the sin that you need to repent of is right in front of you. And you need to get rid of it so you can look up and see what God's doing. For others of you, you need to look up and say, I know that Jesus died on the cross for me. It is time for me to walk down the aisle and surrender my life to Jesus. It's time for me to get over this nearsightedness and to stand up and move towards Christ. For others of you, you're not moving in your process of sanctification what I taught you becoming more like Jesus you're stuck on the starting line because you're just looking down you've got spiritual myopia we got to get over spiritual myopia and we've got to let the Holy Spirit begin to work in our lives and Peter's saying move on press on go and live out your faith don't be so about you that you're missing what God wants to do in and through you Let's finish this. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted, has spiritual myopia, and is blinded. They can't see. But man, I'm telling you, listen to me. I'm telling you, when you allow God to take over your life, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you, when, you're, when you allow God to take over your life, and you go and live godly, and you do these seven traits, and you just go live it out, you're going to be in the back of the restaurant, and you're going to be shouting, I can see! And when you go through that valley and that tough time, it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and life's going to be tough. But then in the midst of the deepest valley of your life, you're going to say, my God has a purpose for me because I see it. It's bigger than what I'm walking through. And I'm not underestimating what some of you are walking through because it's tough. But I believe God says, hey, got it just look up I got you we got to start really believing in God not just talking about him nearsighted and blind forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins Uh, we can never forget where we come from we just can't you can't forget where you've come from too many of us have forgotten where we've come from. We've kind of set it aside. You know why sometimes uh, I think we have to really challenge people to worship? Or we have to really challenge people to pray? I, I think it's because we forgot the joy of our salvation. That we've been redeemed. That means that Jesus came and reinstated you back to your originally being on who you were meant to be. You were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. His grace came down. And in the midst of all your mess, and we're all messy people, amen? 
We're all messy. And Jesus came down, and sometimes we forget that. Uh, when I was in, uh, in South Asia, and I was doing this ministry in, in this top 10 most dangerous country, uh, one, of the, one of my associate pastors at the time was leading and speaking to all the persecuted believers. I just spoken the day before to him, and now he's speaking to all the persecuted believers that are in this region that we were in. And uh, uh, how do you even find yourself worthy to stand in front of these people, right? And we're speaking to him. He gets to speaking. He said, hey, I just want to have a moment that we just pray for each other. And we didn't say pray out loud. We didn't say pray silent. We said, let's just have a moment, a, a moment we pray for each other. And he said, would y'all bow your heads? And they bowed their heads. Some stood up. And they started praying. And he, I, I don't even know. They didn't give him a chance to pray. They just start praying. And they start worshiping. And they start lifting their hands. And the lady behind me is crying out to God. And this man over here is standing up singing unto God. And we didn't orchestrate it. We didn't create it. We didn't get the band to build up. We didn't get the speaker to come out and say, come on, let's lift our hands. It was a moment why? Because they remember the day they were saved. They remember that moment. We forget it. We forget the moment. I think that's where sometimes we struggle. Some of you believers need to go back and remember the day you were saved. Some of you that have walked this aisle, you need to write down the day of your salvation. And you need to remember it and always go back to that joy, the joy that Jesus changed you, the joy that, that you've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. When we start resting in the joy of our salvation, we, we're no longer debating, we're no longer arguing, we're no longer fighting, we're praising, amen? we got to remember the joy of our salvation. And Peter's looking at us and challenging us. I'll tell you one other story from a completely different country I went to. It was in the top 20 when I went uh, on the world watch list, and, and then I'll be done. Um, I went to Vietnam as a country I went to, uh, and I was in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, which is the southern part of Vietnam, which doesn't have intense persecution. But the middle and the upper part of Vietnam still have pretty intense persecution going on. And, and they, at the time that I was there, several years ago, at the time I was there, uh, the intensity had risen a little bit, and, and we had gone in, and we had smuggled Bibles to take Bibles into the country, and we just had them in our backpacks, and people ask me all the time, what's it like to smuggle things into a country? Uh, it's, it's pretty cool, I guess, scary, and everything else, uh, and they would just deport us back, right, and, and so we'd take Bibles in, and took a few other things that these pastors and stuff were needing and we go to meet with them and they all come and and they're meeting with us and we had a translator who was Vietnamese and he was helping us through this whole trip and we go connect with different people and different pastors here incredible stories and then we ended up in a in a, in a like a conference a pastor's conference for persecuted pastors in the middle of Ho Chi Minh City. And I, I remember walking in, I said, how do y'all pull this off? And they said, we just know the rhythms of the government. And right now we're in a rhythm where we can have a service up here and they're not gonna bother us. And uh, I said, do you, you ever get nervous about that? I gotta be honest, I was thinking a little bit selfish, like, are we gonna get arrested today? And uh, he's like, no, we're totally good, everything's fine. 
just come. And, and so I'm standing behind our translator who had given his life to Christ in the country, been persecuted in the country. He, he, had, uh, he had actually escaped the country at one point uh, by his parents' wishes, came back to the country so that he could share his faith in the country. And he was sitting in front of us and worship was going. I didn't understand the worship. At times he was translating, but we didn't know what was going on. And, and I'm just standing there and it's just intimate. These, these men and women were worshiping. And, and uh, at one point, this man's name was Simon. Simon turned around and uh, he had tears in his eyes. He's in the middle of worship. Cody is in the middle of a song and he's, and he's weeping. And he turns back around, his hands are in the air. And, and I tapped him on the shoulder and, and I said, hey man, are, are you okay? He said, you don't understand. It was during this song, 10 years ago, during this very song, that I gave my life to Jesus. My life's been changed ever since. And I'm willing to give up my life for the cause of Christ. And I'm just, he said this, I'm just remembering the day I was saved. And every time I remember it, it breaks my heart because Jesus saved me. And he said it was a moment. And he, and he turns back around just weeping with his hands in the air looking to heaven, just crying out to God. I remember thinking in that moment, may every day I remember April 24th, 1988, the day I got saved, may it wreck me like that because it was a moment that Jesus changed me. It was a moment I got saved. It was a moment that my life changed. And may I go live out my faith because of that moment, because Jesus did something for me. He came and died on a cross for me. I've talked about it each day that we've been here together. That's what Jesus did. And he did it for me. But y'all know in the midst of him doing that, he did it as a gift. And, you, and you've got to say yes to the gift. It's not about just going to heaven. That's a reward we one day get. It's about you saying yes so that you can live it out and you can experience the joy that my friend had. His circumstances were terrible. Yet, the joy that Jesus brought him was greater than the circumstance the culture put on him. It was greater. Because Jesus is greater. And if every one of you would just look me in the eye for just a moment, I know it's a big room, but let's pretend it's not. And you just look right up here, whether it's on the screen or it's right here on stage, I just want you to connect. And I want to look all of you and I just want to ask you, do you know you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you know it? And if you say, Pastor Brian, man, I don't know. I've never surrendered my life. Past few nights I've been wrestling with it. Or you might say, man, I haven't even been wrestling with it the past few nights. But man, God's all over me tonight and I know I need to give my life to Christ. I know I need to be saved. I know I need to confess my sins unto God, recognize, with the reco recognizing that the fact that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, 
And that tonight you want to ask Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to step out of heaven and step into your life forever. And you want Jesus to change you. And you want Jesus to set you free. And tonight is a night for you. Tonight is a night for you. In just a moment, when we all stand for you to leave your seat, whether it's with one of your friends or by yourself, you leave that seat and you walk right down here and you say, tonight's the night for me. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to jack around with my lostness anymore. I'm going to surrender my life. At that moment, the joy of salvation enters you. And you're redeemed. But you got to say yes to the gift. So I'm going to pray. We're all going to stand and sing. And as we sing, you, who gosh is working on y'all. Matter of fact, as I pray in a moment, you who know you have a relationship with Jesus, you ought to pray for somebody on your aisle because there's probably someone in every single aisle in this auditorium that doesn't know Jesus. And you just ought to pray, God, whoever's sitting close to me, would you give them the confidence to walk down? Would you you let them know that they need you? So let's pray together. Then we'll stand and then you come if you need to give your life to Christ tonight, Jesus. And you've been so good to us at this camp this week and even the weeks before this, the three other weeks. God, your, your anointing's in this room. Your favor's in this room. The Spirit of God is moving in the hearts and lives of every single kid and student and adult and college student and all in this. Lord, you're moving in lives. And so, God, would you give the confidence to the people in this room that know they don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you, that they know tonight is the night they need to surrender their life over to Jesus. confidence to leave their seat and walk forward so that tonight they can pray a prayer and ask Jesus to step out of heaven and step into their life God would you do that in this room tonight it's in Jesus name we ask amen amen thanks for listening